This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. everyone. You're listening to Thoughts and Theories on ORFM, where I'll delve deeper into the meanings and messages of films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Asha Amaasri, and let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Unfortunately, I don't have any guests with me today, but I think it's a good thing because I'm pretty sure I can't find anyone in the world to listen to my rant today, um, especially since we've already talked about it um, on this podcast before, and um, it's kind of embarrassing. But So if any of you are longtime fans or like if you've stayed here from the beginning, you would remember the very, very first episode of Thoughts and Theories. I covered the movie Crimson Peak with Kyla Craig, and... Um, if you haven't heard of it, that's fine. Uh, the film and this, uh, the podcast episode, don't listen to it. <laughs> because um, I was listening to it recently and I'm like, oh my god, I've, I sound so stilted and so um, terrified of my own voice. And oh gosh, I do have to say, I was terrified when I first walked into the studio with Kyla and we all had like, we had our script paper and we were like, um, trying to make it sound as authentic and natural as possible. And it was just, it was terrifying. It was absolutely, it was just not it. Uh, now I'd say, hopefully, hopefully you guys would agree with me if you have listened to the first one, um, that I have, I guess, kind of grown a little bit in terms of confidence. And uh, now most of the things, are no, now actually none of my uh, podcasts are scripted. And I'm sure you can very much tell because of the amount of, like, ums and ahs <laughs> that I do per episode. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think I'm getting quite better at it. But, anyway, I'm getting off track. And since recently we've decided to revisit some shows, like, last episode, if you heard, we did Twilight with three of my other friends. And um, I guess I wanted to revisit another uh, story, especially a story that holds such dear place in my heart. So, Crimson Peak, um, directed by Guillermo del Toro, is a gothic romance, also known as a little bit of a horror, supernatural, ghost-type story. And because yesterday was Halloween, happy Halloween, by the way, even though it's a bit late, um, I thought it was perfect, you know? It's like the universe just telling me to revisit. And plus, I was on TikTok recently, and my I've just been searching up a lot of Crimson Peak stuff, so... The things are refreshed. So, for those of you who don't know, Crimson Peak is about this... Um, it's set, it's set um, back in the 1800s, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it follows this young, independent woman. Or she's trying to be independent in that type of day, anyway. Her name is Edith Cushing. She's a, from, I guess, a pretty rich family. And she's the only daughter. Her mother died when she was a kid due to the Black Plague, um... And then, uh, but one day, she's always been able to see ghosts. That's been her sick. And she wants to be a writer. She wants to be a career woman. But um, the 
publishers and everyone else sort of don't really believe in her because why would a woman want to be a writer? You know, why why would she want to be? Why would she want to have a career? Is basically what I'm saying. And when she does write a story, she goes to the publishers, and the publishers like, um, why would you write a ghost story? You should write a romance. And it's sort of implied. He doesn't exactly say it, but you know, as a woman should, you know. And Edith really doesn't want to conform to the norms, right? She really wants to write. Her, she wants to show her passions, which is through the stories. And her father has always been super supportive of her, and has gotten her a typewriter, and like got her, like her his gift to her was literally like um a calligraphy pen and he made it because he's like a architect i'm pretty sure he made it specifically for her so he didn't get her like you know jewelry or clothes or whatever he knows his daughter and he knows that she's more interested in her career than anything else so he got her specifically custom made pen and i'm like what? That is so, so thoughtful. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off track again. So it follows the story of Edith, who wants to be a writer, and then one day this mysterious British nobleman comes by to do some business with her father. And obviously, as gothic romance be, um, the young golden heroine is attracted by the mysterious brooding stranger. So they get to know each other, um, they get married... Uh, against her father's wishes, but her father can't say anything because her father's dead now. Yeah, he gets murdered at some point in the film. And then um, she goes to move in with uh, her husband, Thomas Sharp, in um, uh, England. Uh, I forgot where exactly, but... And it turns out... Uh, this wasn't a plot twist, I just forgot to mention that, but she ha- he has an older sister, Lucille Sharp. <coughs> Sorry, she he has an older sister, Lucille Sharp, and they um, all move in together in their ancestral home in England. But then, plot twist: um, they're actually trying to kill her for her inheritance. And Edith finds out that this has been happening for a while, and that Thomas has already had three wives before her, and you know all that stuff. You know the typical thing, um, as gothic romances be. But something that I particularly like about this film was that um, while it is, as like like I said, gothic romance generally follows a um, formula um, where damsel, you know, damsel's in distress, damsel gets saved sort of thing. But um, while she does sort of get saved at the end, in a way, she mostly saves herself. And I really, really like that about her. Because from the very beginning, even though... We still get the classic heroine, you know, young, hopeful, golden, naive, because she's, like, super blonde and amazing, amazing hair. I was so devastated to find out it was a wig. But anyway, it, even though I knew it was a wig, but still, you know, a girl can dream. Um, she's quite naive, uh, but she's, despite that naivety, she's she's quite smart. She's got quite a bit of character to her character, if you know what I mean. She's not just, she's not two-dimensional. Quite simple, yes, but n- not as simple as it could have been as other gothic romances have been in the past. And she retains that sort of confident, independent sort of life, um, no, spirit, even after she gets married and she's tied down to the shops, right? Even though she's isolated to the rest of the world, um, she keeps that independence. And when her, the second love interest, the second male love interest, who is, you know, the childhood best friend, goes to save her, um, he ends up getting stabbed, whoops. But she ends up saving herself, even if he he, while he did, when he came to her to save her, um, it did help a lot. Like, it created an opportunity, I would say. She still did end up saving herself and indirectly ended up saving him as well because, like I said, he got stabbed and he's bleeding out. 
So, um, well, okay, now that you guys are caught up, and oh, I'm sorry, that's probably like really confusing, but um, if, if it doesn't make sense, then please just watch the film. It's really, really, really good. And it's, dare I say, my favorite film of all time literally my favorite film of all time and um for those of you who are like oh a horror film well that's not my thing and i'm like yeah it's a horror film but i hate horror films like i'm super squeamish i hate gore i hate jump scares and things but i do have to say <clears throat> it's quite um what how do i call it it's quite mild um and the ghosts that are there aren't scary ghosts they're just like they're a metaphor for the past sort of thing, you know, um, and, uh, so while there are, like, one or two jump scares, they're not super terrifying, um, and, uh, uh they're just there as messengers to Edith to l- tell her that, you know, something's sus, and you should probably get the frick out of here, um, and it's quite romantic, I do have to say, I'm a hopeless romantic, and, um, even though we know that Thomas is giving bad vibes from the very beginning, I mean, he's a handsome stranger who's rich, you know, and he makes things with his hands, like, what can a girl ask for? You know, like that's that's literally it for us. Um, and also, when he one of the things that Edith was attracted to um, about him from the very beginning was that yes, he's handsome. That's one thing. But another thing was that he saw her manuscript, her like you know drafted piece of work on her desk from the very beginning, and he was like ghost stories whoa, that's, that's pretty cool, like, yeah, you shouldn't mess with ghost stories, but you could tell that he was clearly interested in, in his, in her work, and, um, Edith, as someone who's always been ridiculed and, you know, kind of pushed aside, disregarded when it comes to her passion, when the first person, other than her friend, like, her close friend and her father, um, other than them, this stranger comes and complete, compliments her, I guess, life's work, obviously that's going to intrigue you, especially because, um, Thomas is a baronet, and from the very beginning, uh, Edith has always said that she looks down on Baroness, and if I want to quote her directly, she says he's a parasite with a title, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Um, but then, as soon as she meets him and he compliments her work, she's just like, "Hmm, maybe I should reevaluate my values." And I don't know. It's just it's the cutest meet cute ever. Like, and I am absolutely in love with their love story, which is why I'm just so devastated absolutely heartbroken at their ending i i'm just oh my god i just i feel so sad for their ending because they're so cute together and i know it was doomed from the very beginning because they didn't have good like the sharps did not have any good intentions but thomas really did love edith like even though he was he started off like you know with the intent of stealing her money at the end he was just like oh you know damn is this what love feels like? And, oh, he actually falls in love with her. And then he dies at the end. And it's just so, oh, God, I'm, like, in tears. I was in tears. No matter how many times I watch it, I'm always like, oh, the potential is gone. It's so, so sad. And you guys just need to watch it. It's just so cute and happy and then depressing and sad. It's just amazing. It's the whole package, really. <clears throat> um, and... Even though Thomas did, obviously, say, I said, um, come with bad intentions, he did switch up at the end, and he, like, said to his sister, yo, what we're doing is wrong. Um, I disagree. Um, and he did end up trying his best to help 
Edith escape and, you know, move away. But he, I guess, underestimated his sister's psychoness, and um, she kind of stabbed him and then cried, immediately regretted it, and cried over his dead body. Um, because, like I said, she's psycho as hell. And, okay, I've been, I've been paying attention to a lot of critics recently on the film and um, on, like, the characters and stuff, and a lot of people do have to agree with me. Like, Thomas and Edith were just, they're gold. They were made for each other, and it was amazing. Even if, like, it, even if it was a doomed relationship, their short time that they had, it was... It was wonderful. It was it was perfect, um, but a lot of people seems to vil- villainize Lucille like quite badly, and obviously she is a villain. But some of the things they say, or some of the reasons, I just feel like are a bit shallow, are a bit um, too harsh, you know. Because if you can, because I feel like they need a scapegoat, you know, to blame someone. Because if you can blame, no, because if you can sur- forgive. Thomas for the crap that he has done. If you can forgive him for that, how come you can't forgive Lucille? They were in the same boat together. What, just because he's a good-looking man? Just because he's the love interest, you you forgive him? And like, I'm obviously guilty of that. But while I forgive him, I also sort of forgive Lucille. And I understand... Oh, I, sort of, I, I sort of understand what she's going through, you know? And other people sort of... I feel like they they look like they don't know about it. But I feel like they do, because if, if they're as big a fans of Crimson Peak as they say, then they should know that Lucille was, while she was bad, she wasn't completely bad either. Like, she didn't start off that way, but they seem to, like, say that she was pretty... Like, the way that they speak of her is, like, she was born this villain. She was, she, she got, she was like, you know, birthed into the world, and immediately her first thought was murder, you know? Um... <clears throat> But it's not like that. It's much It's much more complicated than that. And I just wish that they were given a better hand. Because um, going away from Edith for a second, um, following uh, Lucille and Thomas's journey, um, so obviously they're baronets, and they grew up in this rich manor in England. And her, their father was a businessman. But as he traveled around the world, I think he lost, he lost a lot of his wealth. I'm pretty sure it was because of gambling or it was because of failed business assessments, uh, business, um, what's it called? Arrangements. Uh, I'm not sure. But basically, they, he squandered all of their money. And um, what happened was their father was quite abusive to their mother. And um, he broke their mother's leg. And their mother, therefore, turned uh, bitter and angry. And she didn't have a place to vent that anger because she's, you know, sick and she's, like, a woman at the end of the day and she can't say anything to her rich nobleman husband, right? So she turns to her two little children and it starts to abuse them. Uh, Lucille, who is just, I'm pretty sure, only two years older than Thomas, uh, he turn- she turns to Lucille and was... Um, it turns to both of them and starts beating them up, but Lucille is very, like, protective of her younger brother and starts, like, taking up the beatings for her. Uh, for him. And, um, I guess that sort of messed them up quite a bit. Because, um, they were, they were so young when their mom decided to beat them up. And they're, again, I just have to say, they lived in isolation. You know, they weren't out of, they weren't let out of their 
well, they weren't let out of the attic. The attic was the only place they could call safe. It was their prison, but also it was the only place that their parents couldn't reach them. And um, they grew up together extremely unhealthily close to each other. They were very, very dependent on each other. Um, and uh, they didn't know what love was. You know, they didn't, they didn't know any better. Yes, yes, Lucille was older by two years, but she was still a child. And, um, and okay, this, this may be a little triggering for some people. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, trigger warning, by the way, incest. <laughs> yep, you heard it. I guess you guys should have known when I said gothic romance, but yeah, what is? Um, so, uh, yeah, so she, they enter, like, this incestuous relationship because they sort of only knew each other and they only loved each other. And I know you got some of you guys are like, and you forgive these guys? Like, what the freak? That is so weird. That is so bizarre. Asha, you are very bizarre. And I'm like, yes, yes, that sounds very bizarre. I Trust me, trust me. I know. Just have a listen. Have a listen. Um, It's just, like, they knew no one else. They didn't have any friends, and their parents are, like, terrible people. All they knew was that they could depend on each other, and they loved each other. And... I guess that love turned really weird and convoluted. And um, Lucille, being such a fierce protector she is, especially of her younger brother, who she's extremely possessive of, she um, decided that enough was enough. Um, and she killed their mother. This was after their father died, by the way. Uh, she killed their mother um, in the bathtub. And she was really happy about it. Because like, in her point of view, this woman who claims to be their mother, has tormented them, has been the monster under their beds, except it's a real monster, um, has been forever hurting them, and now she just got rid of her. And they're free. They're free. She's happy about it. Her and Thomas can finally escape, and they're great. But then the cops get called, and obviously the cops are like, oh, crabby patties, that's not great. So they, um, obviously, they're too, the, Thomas and Lucille are too young. Lucille kills, uh, Lucille kills uh, Beatrice Sharp, the mother, at 14 years old, and uh, Thomas was only 12 at the time. Because Thomas didn't exactly, didn't, wasn't like the exact murderer, he just knew about it, but he didn't do anything about it. He didn't get the punishment, but he was um, shipped off to a boarding school. Um, and uh, Lucille, uh, according to the newspapers, was shipped off to a boarding school as well. But um, we all know, because she was older, um, and because she was the one who killed, uh, they needed to, you know, treat her properly. Again, this is the 1800s, and their form of treatment for mentally ill people was not the greatest. Um, so she was shipped off to a institution, but not a school institution, a mental institution, where she was once again physically abused. But what's worse is that now she's alone in a strange place with people claiming to help her, but she doesn't have her little brother anymore, the person that she did all this for, you know? And like I said, they grew up so close to each other, so unhealthy close that they decided that the only form of love they had was this romantic, convoluted monster that they've created, and it was it's a terrible bond. But um, now, now she's gone. There's a, now he's gone, sorry. The other half of her, her sole motivation... For everything is gone. And she's stuck in this institution. And Thomas, I can't imagine, has bared any well either in this school. Now he's suddenly thrust in this um, uh, inst uh, school institution where there's other people his age, but they're so different from him. They're so talkative, they're so bright, they're so happy, and they 
seem to have such perfect home lives and he's just all on his own. His sister has been taken away from him. And he's like, he grows up really shy. And this is just what I'm imagining, by the way. None of this is um, explicitly said um, because it's just such a short part in their backstory. But I did read this blog that was written by Guillermo del Toro. So some of uh, this is obviously factual. They just didn't put it in. They just didn't put it in the film. But, you know, he just, he grew up, like, a lot, I can imagine him growing up a lot more reserved than the rest of his peers, and he's doing his best to release his sister, because, like, he has to be legal age to, and, like, I'm guessing he needs the money as well to find a proper reason to release his sister from this mental institution. And, honestly, I'm super, super surprised that she was alive by the time that Thomas probably got her out. I'm surprised she survived that long because the treatments were literally such terrible forms of physical abuse that, thank God, are outlawed today. Um, I'm surprised she survived. But obviously she didn't survive without some scars along the way. And I bet you, I bet you all my fortune, which isn't nothing but, like, $2, but, like, I bet you that she was sexually assaulted in there as well, you know, because she's a beautiful woman, you know, and these institutions, uh, these like, you know, researchers and like people who are quote helping unquote her are just like, you know, like, oh, you know, like, you, you, do, you need this, you know, uh, it's like, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. So I'm, I just can't imagine what they had to go through together. And once that they were together, that unhealthy bond that was suddenly ripped from them only grew once they went back together because um, now they're never, ever going to let them go. They're never going to let each other go. And um, it's just, oh, it's so sad, you know. Like, they were given such terrible, terrible circumstances to work with. And then um, they come back. Obviously, their family name has been, you know, turned to dust. And they still, they're still in poverty. I mean, I'm guessing Thomas used all he, all the money he could on getting Lucille out of that institution. So now they go to underhanded tactics. Because Lucille, like I said, at this point, I'm pretty sure all her emotions are dead. The only thing that really matters to her is her brother. So she doesn't care about morality or anything like that. So she's just like, the easiest way... Thomas obviously has a good face. He's super, super handsome. And she's going to take advantage of that. Because it's not like the anyone's going to, you know, do anything to him under her watch, right? So she comes up with this ploy where um, they lure in, you know, old, rich, um, unwanted, uh, isolated women, and they lure her, lure them in to the trap that is Thomas Sharp. They get married, obviously because he's a man, all their, trans- all their wealth and transfers goes to him, and then once that happens, they poison her with arsenic, uh, in their tea, and then, you know, once they're dead, they're dead, and they move on to a different place, and, yeah, so that happened three times before he ended up going with Edith, and this whole time, I'm not saying, like I said, while I empathize with them, they're both terrible people, they did terrible things, but obviously, we're very biased, because they're movie characters, and they're the main characters, so we're just like, damn, that like, it hurts, because in every film, um, or story, the, um, antagonist there's always like some tragic backstory that makes you understand their motivations and what they're doing and while you can't agree with their methods and what they do you can understand why they do it and where they came from and that is a really powerful tool right because Ross we would just be hating them and that makes us more attached to the characters so writers and directors and stuff well done 
because it's genuinely genius because it brings a sense of conflict within us and um, within us, the viewers. <coughs> and um, it makes us more attached to the characters. Um, and Thomas, th- this entire time, he doesn't, he doesn't tell his sister to stop because he knows that what they're doing is the only thing that they can do to make quick cash. And he loves to invent. And I have a feeling that while he does feel guilty, because he, unlike his sister, probably still has a lot more humanity and emotions left within him. Um, While he feels really guilty, I think he's learned to block that out in order to, like, you know, indulge in his sister um, by you know, focusing on his inventions, you know, because he's got a huge passion for inventing things and he's like, he's got a knack for it. And he, because when he was younger, to distract his sister um, and them both from like the torments of their parents, he would always make these little trinkets, these cute little things um, to give to his sister. And, you know, and it just, it was something to do with his hands and to spend his time and to forget the fact that he was trapped in the attic with his sister alone and never given any attention. And I'm guessing that's what he did when he was in boarding school as well. He sort of retreated to his room and did what he was, um, to spend his time and, you know, to count, uh, to not, like, to let the days go by. Um, so the only bright spot in his life. So I'm guessing he ran away from these feelings of guilt or whatever um, by retreating to his workshop and always inventing these little things and just watched as, you know, his sister did the most direct thing, which is killing them and making the tea and things like that. Thomas was just a part of the plot, and he's a bystander, which makes him just as bad as of guilty as Lucille is, but he never actually directly did something. And we know this because uh, later on in the film, when uh, the best friend comes... Uh, Lucille's... No, not Lucille, sorry. Edith's best friend, Alan... He, when he comes by to save them, uh, Lucille gives Thomas a knife and says, you should do something this time, which implies that Thomas has never done anything directly in all this plot. And I guess Lucille is sort of a little bit vindictive and a bit mad because this whole thing happened because of Thomas, in a way. Because in the very beginning, they weren't actually going to choose Edith. Edith just came along by accident. Like, the plan was to you know, to use, um, the, this other girl who doesn't like Edith very much. The plan was to use this other girl as their plan because the girl was already, like, infatuated with Thomas and stuff and it was perfectly, um, planned and everything was just calculated to perfection. But then Thomas meets Edith and falls in love, um, at first sight. And I'm guessing, I don't know how he convinced Lucille, but the main point is he picked her out of his own free will because he was he was a little bit infatuated himself and Lucille obviously was a bit sus but he, she can't do anything about it um and it's not like they did anything cuz um even though you're supposed to i guess officialize your marriage after getting married um he never does that with any of his um wives because like i said he's in a relationship with Lucille um but with with Edith, he did. Not right away, but eventually he did. And you can just see the vibe within Thomas. Like, later on, he, he, goes, from, he goes from this kicked, kicked puppy who's always, like, listening to his sister and doing whatever she wants and, like, is so broody and so sad. But whenever he's around Edith, like, in the good early days before he revealed himself, 
you can tell he looked genuinely so happy and like when like the way he the casual caresses you know the way he looks at her god can i just say tom hiddleston's acting is just so unreal okay now i'm getting a little unhinged here okay uh, we're just gonna take a short break so i can fangirl in silence I do have to say that I feel like I know that song is from Maleficent, but that song really does, I think, um, talk, uh, I guess, fit the vibe of Crimson Peak because this whole whirlwind, whirlwind romance between Thomas and Edith was like once upon a dream. It was just, it was short lived, but it was beautiful while it lasted. But yeah, um, I can, I'll stop, I'll stop fangirl. I, I use that, that moment to fangirl to myself, by the way. Um, but yeah, Tom Hiddleston's acting was great, and you can really see the emotion with it. He really brings out um, Thomas's emotions within the whole, you know, the whole film. 
But uh, he's never done anything directly uh, in the plot. But now that, you know, the <clears throat> he's sort of realized that Edith is actually doomed. And he sort of brought this girl into this, you know, mess of his life. He decide, He feels he can't, you know, he can't push this away anymore. This woman is in danger and he can't push it away because it's the woman he loves and he's grown to love. And it's through the um, shining influence of Edith that he realizes that what he and Lucille has isn't love. It's, um, it's control. Messed up control, position, and unhealthy infatuation, I do have to say. It's obsession. That's what it is. Lucille is obsessed with keeping Thomas by her by her side because everything good that she's ever had, or what she's never had, has disappeared and has turned ugly and terrifying. And the only support and the only time she's ever had good times is with her brother. So I understand why the thought of letting him go to another woman is terrifying for her, is absolutely terrifying. Like, the night that... um. Thomas and Edith consummate their marriage. They're not at the manor. They're at this post office in a spare bedroom. Um, and they spend one night away from, Lucy- from Lucille. And when they come back, Lucille is an absolute mess. She is, like, sobbing and she's like, you know, you see the cracks of her exterior. And you can see just one night away from her brother and she is a broken human being because Thomas is what holds her together and without him she is nothing and in that sort of sense I can really empathize with her and I feel really bad for her so yes I still villainize both Thomas and Lucille but I feel bad for them in equal measures well I found other people not a lot not no not everyone but a lot of other people um is that they feel sad and they emphasize with Thomas whilst not disagreeing with him, but they don't do the same for Lucille. They just villainize her and they sort of ignore the other torments that she's also gone through. And because she's not the main, like, couple, um, her backstory has isn't exactly highlighted, but it is hinted in the same way that Thomas's backstory is as well because they're so close-knit together. So I don't see, I don't understand why other people aren't addressing this fact as well. And I feel, I feel super, super sad for her. And Jessica Chastain, oh my gosh, her playing Lucille has been something that I never knew I needed. When I first came across Jessica, um, she was playing the, uh, the daughter in Interstellar. And that film is like a headache, by the way. And um, you know, and you and she's also in the film like I think the good doctor is it the good nurse? I'm not sure. But like you know, it's very serious. It's a very normal person with you know a quirk. But like with with um, Lucille in Crimson Peak, she's very broody. She's very she's such a scary character. Like, and it's so. Um, iconic i love it i love her acting in this can i everyone in the film was just amazingly chosen to represent their characters even alan and i know i forgot his name exactly but i know he was he's quite a famous actor as well um and he was um he was in supernatural and um i do have to say he's pretty good looking too um my boy alan 
doesn't deserve what he got, by the way. He got stabbed trying to save the girl that he loved, even knowing that the girl that he loved is married to <laughs> this guy that he hates. Um, and I understand you can't control the matters of your heart, but as the, as the viewer, we understand that Alan is basically the perfect man. He is, um, he is, he follows like the, I guess the stereotype of like, you know, golden hair, big buff and night in shining armor sort of thing. But not only that, he's a doctor. He's well read. He doesn't look down upon Edith on her, um, you know, reading, no, not her reading, on her, like, career choice, and in fact, he's, like, fond, and he knows that Edith is obsessed with ghosts, and he took note of that, and he, like, found these, um, pictures of, like, or these stories of ghosts and things, and he talked to Edith about it, and, you know, like, you know, he, he noticed his interest, her interest in that, and he took attention to it, he took time to learn about it, to find these things, and then to proudly show it to her, to impress her, and it's just like, that's so, so cute, and I understand, Edith's heart is somewhere else, but as the viewer, we're just like, oh gosh, he's right there, he's so, the perfect man's is right next to you, my guy, like, literally, and the bar is so low in reality, right, like, this is, that's what I'm saying, this is the perfect man, he's so good, and even after, like, what he does, um, uh, tell her, to be cautious with Thomas and stuff, and he obviously doesn't like what's going on. He steps back. Once she got married, he's like, ah, right, okay, I'm out. This is devastating, but I'm out. And he respected that. The only reason why he figured out everything was because he always felt something was sus about Thomas and the fact that um, the dad, um, I forgot his name, uh, but the dad, um, his last check was to Thomas, and he knew how much the dad hated Thomas. So why, why would he pay Thomas for what? And he knows the business transaction was a fail. So what could it be? And then he did this whole like Sherlock Holmes thing, and it was just it was so sweet. He's like literally the best guy. Like unironically, he's like the best guy in the film with no evil backstory and stuff. The only problem is that his mom and his sister are absolute pains in the, in the butt. <laughs> and uh, I feel so bad for the dad's death as well, because while he didn't exactly figure out what was up, he felt that bad vibes from Thomas, and Thomas obviously was courting his daughter, and he was like, uh, no, stay away from my young girl, you widow. And he did some research, um, I guess just to make sure his hunch was correct, and found out that Thomas was married, has been married three times in the past, and thought that, that he, that, you know, they were, you know, being deceived. And, you know, like, everyone's got I forgot what the word is. Is it called a blue word or blue hat? I'm not sure. But it's basically where um, the olden term for gold digging, basically, marrying these women just for the sake of their money. <clears throat> and he's not wrong. That was exactly what they did. It's just that they didn't fig- he didn't figure out the murder part yet. And he confronted both Thomas and Lucille, paying them to leave his daughter. And I and it was really sweet because he didn't tell his daughter exactly what was up with the guys. And you know his, even though I don't necessarily agree with that, I know his motivation was because he didn't want his daughter to get hurt. He didn't want his daughter to know the truth about his her very first love. So he wanted to protect her as much as possible. And even though, for me personally, I would probably tell her just so, probably to gloat in her face. But then again, I wouldn't make a good father. So yeah, you know what? 
the dad, do whatever you want. And I guess it worked. But the problem was he miscalculated their evilness and Lucille ended up killing him in the bathroom by smashing his head into the sink multiple times and his skull got crushed. Yay. <laughs> How fun. Honestly, I felt really bad. Um, and I just wish he told Edith so then Edith would feel sus about what happened. Um, and nothing, none of this would have ever happened. But yeah, I just... The dad did his best. He was supportive of his daughter and um, was just trying his best to look out for her. But she, it just, it just didn't end up working out. And um, honestly, one thing that I want to critique about Edith was the fact that she should have been more grateful for her dad. Um, and this is like something that you probably heard me in last in the Twilight episode last week. Um, and it's the dad. Like for me, my thing about family bonds is very, very important. Like, um, so if a character doesn't, doesn't support, like, their family in any way, and it's not valid, then I, I get so angry, and I lose all respect for that character. For Edith, I know that she loved him, but I just wish that she showed a bit more care at certain parts, and it's, um, a bit sad. But I wouldn't say that I lost complete respect for her. It's just a little bit of, like, it's a little bit of an ick for me, and then, um, but that's fine. It's, like, for example, in Squid Game, um, I can't for the life of me watch it, and a lot of people get mad at me for my reasoning, but I just can't bring myself to like the character. I watched one episode, and I saw him, like, dissing his mom and stealing her money. And, oh, is it his mom or grandmother? I'm not sure. I don't remember. I wasn't exactly paying attention. But And then I was just like, no, no, I can't do that. Um, I hate it. I hate you, and I've lost all respect for you. And my brother and everyone else are like, um... Asha, that's just a character set up. That's not even the main story yet. You'll like it when the story comes. And I'm like, I get it. The story's great about them, you know, trying to win money and stuff like that. But you can't expect me to like any of the characters, you know? I can't like any of the characters because they came in here because they're dumb. No, I'm kidding. No, they came into this whole situation because it was their fault, you know? Like, some of them genuinely are like, oh, I have to, I don't have any money, and it's not their fault that they're in debt, you know, um, and it's because, like, you know, some, like, schooling or whatever, like, trying to support your family or something, that I respect, like, mad respect, risking your life, so then you can come and support your siblings, like, for example, that girl, I forgot her name, um, but, but when it comes to the main character, who the only reason why he's in here is because he's got such, he's got such terrible gambling habit, God, that angers me so much. Especially since he has a daughter that he's trying his best to, like, you know, um, spend time with. He's just, and he, oh, God, yeah. People like that really, really angers me. Um, so I can't, I can't like any of the characters, honest. Um, which is sort of why I sort of like Alice in Borderland better, because when they're, because the premise is the same. They are put in this unfamiliar environment and they must survive. They must fight to survive. Um, whether that's physical or intellect, it doesn't matter. The difference between that is that Alice in Borderland, the characters, when they brought into this place, they were chosen at random. This wasn't a situation that they put themselves into, and therefore I can respect them for trying their best to survive and whatever. In Squid Game, a lot of the characters, they came in there out of their own fault, and I can't, you can't expect me to feel sympathy or feel bad for any of them. And um, I get a lot of you will disagree, and that's fine, but for me, that's just... That's just a really firm line for me. I can't. When it comes to family members, that's just... I'll always stand by um, and respect those who respect their family. Anyway, sorry, I got completely off track there. Um, But yeah, uh, 
the dad tried his best and the mom did try to warn to did try to warn um Edith when when she came back as a ghost and was like stay away from Crimson Peak and she's like what oh yeah I will only to go straight to Crimson Peak <laughs> which is hilarious because it's so sad and stupidity but it's okay um Thomas dies in the end and even though even though I hate it, my heart hates it because he finally had, his leaf was finally turned and he obviously loves this girl and they could have had so much. Logically speaking, it was a smart move from the directors and the writers that Thomas died because they wouldn't have been able to be happy. Even though their short-term romance was perfect, they wouldn't be able to survive any more than that because, okay, let me, let me, let me show you, let me tell you, like, play out a story, okay? So let's say he did survive and Lucille dies and, you know, they move away from Allerdale Hall, from America, from everything, and they start a completely new life and a completely new identity. The relationship between them can never not be complicated. While Edith can probably forgive, she can never forget. And I don't, I doubt, highly doubt that she will even be able to forgive him. Because even though he didn't kill her father, he still gave the green light. He still let it happen. He still killed all those women, even if he didn't kill them. You know? He has such a complicated backstory, and even if he, she can like push away his backstory and be like, oh, you're a changed man now, that's fine. I don't think she can ever forgive him for killing, for killing her father. And even if she does forgive him, then we as the readers, um, we as the watchers, therefore sort of lose a little bit of respect for the main character because why would you do that? You know, it's a, it's a very, like, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's a very delicate process that I'm sure that the, the, um, the director and story writer can't be bothered to do because I want a strong, impactful ending, right? And yeah, so even though my heart cries and my heart aches for them to have like a happy after i know logically speaking that they just can't it just they won't live a happy life there will there will always be conflicts there will always be some sort of hurdle because at the very basis of their relationship the very beginning of it the foundation was a lie it started off as a lie and they can pretend it doesn't exist all they want they can bury it as much as they want but it will always come up in the end and it will break their relationship and it won't it won't end up great so oh and it it always pains me to say this but damn damn i hate logical thinking sometimes cuz i just wish they could live happily ever after which is why which is why i love fan fiction so much uh because oh god like fan fiction and i've talked about this in a previous episode with Cardi Goodwin as well, but, like, fanfiction gets such bad rep, honestly. Obviously, some fanfiction are a bit extreme, are a bit, um, you know, the cliche ones that you sort of get into, like, I was sold to One Direction, or I have a werewolf mate, or whatever. Like, you know, they're, they're cliche ones, but what I like to call them, those are Wattpad ones, I would say. Not all of them, but it's generally that umbrella. Um, but some fanfictions are genuinely, like, absolutely gold and i i love it because there are a lot of stories where really that are really good but there's a certain point that you don't like whether that's like the climax or the ending you don't like how it ended for example in crimson peak 
that's where like amazing huge big fans come in and like no i don't like the ending so i'm gonna make a new one and honestly mad respect because they're they're giving the rest of the fans the indulgement that they didn't know they needed like this closure that they didn't know they needed for example i've read a few crimson peak ones and there's um there's one where they did no there's one where um Edith ended up being, like, the evil person all along, and it sounds pretty dumb, but, like, the way they, um, wrote it was actually quite skillful, and it, and I do have to say props to them. Um, but, yeah, the, like, different fanfic tropes I just, I really adore, and there are some that completely ignore the horror, the, the, like, the evil plot in general, and I can pretend that Thomas was, Thomas and Lucille are good people, and they can have, like, these little cute moments. So fan fiction is really just a place where fans in denial can write their own reality. So basically, we're just all real-life versions of Wanda, except obviously not overpowered. We've got the internet for that. Um, and it's just, um, yeah, fan, fi- uh, fan fiction sites are just such a blissful place for me, especially AO3. Um, like, for example, I have... What's a big big fandom? Uh, Harry Potter, right? Harry Potter is such a big fandom, and it's got like all these different stories. And it can because Harry Potter himself is such an unobservant type of person. Any fan fiction that people write can be fanon. And for those of you who don't know what fanon is, it's fandom canon. Canon means uh, you know the things that go the original real things, the original script that goes on in the real stuff. So. Um, yeah, fanon is basically these uh, canon, uh, these um, popular fanfic tropes that has been declared as pretty much as close to canon as possible. So fanon, it's a terrible name, but yeah, it's all good. Um, a tag that I really like is Harry's the Master of Death, um, or like maybe time travel fix it tropes where he goes back in time and like, or maybe like Dumbledore bashing or whatever. It's it's just really great. Fanfic is just the type of place that you never knew you needed uh basically um but i just wish because um for crimson peak in particular because i love the fanfic trope uh no not the fanfic trope sorry the time travel trope especially time travel fix it and i'm so sad because there's not any or i'm not sure if there's not any but there's not many um within crimson peak the time travel fix it because obviously first in order to do time travel fix it you need to establish time travel but whatever um there's none in crimson peak and i really want a time travel fix it where edith goes back in time and like you know does things properly or maybe not even edith thomas goes back in time and um he really and like this is before he even met edith and like you know or thomas and lucille or one of them go back in time and they basically write their wrongs and they just you know do whatever they want in a good way and then finally get the girl at the end that is that is what i want um, obviously if that, um, was canon, that wouldn't be fun, but as fan fiction, that is my favorite trope ever, because it's so indulgent to the fans, and I'm devastated that there's no fanfic out there with the time travel fix it trope for, um, Crimson Peak, so if, if I was a good enough writer, I would write it myself, but there's, like, it's just not the same, you know, it's not the same when you write your own, because, I don't know, then I have to retreat to my mind palace, and then I have to write it, and I have to edit it, I don't have that sort of commitment, um, which is why, like, these fan fictions that I read, there are, like, 300,000 
words. And I'm like, the commitment, the amount of commitment that they have to a fandom, that they'll have to write it and they have to like research all about it, especially like fan- uh, like fantasy type genres. For example, Harry Potter, where you have to research like the uh, f- magical religion or like the origins of magic and you know stuff like that and the different spells that they've got to use like the how the ministry works the ministry of magic or how the um icw works um you know all that government politic political stuff and um and some of the things that they do with their characters that they didn't the characters didn't do in canon actually makes sense some of them doesn't, and it's very, very out of character. Like, for example, Dumbledore bursts into, like, bursts into um, dance in the main hall. Like, that doesn't sound in character for him, right? But some of the things that they do, these writers do, is um, genuinely fascinating in a way that I can see the character doing that, even if they didn't do it. And it's so in character of them. Like, for example, there's a lot of different characterizations of Tom Riddle, a.k.a. Voldemort, Um but some of the ones that I see of him back in the high school days, I so see him doing, like, him having, like, a charismatic attitude and being, like, you know, very ca- calculative of who he associates with and who he helps and things like that, whilst inside he's, like, brooding a lot and he's, like, you know, calculating everything to help him and um, his people to forward their ideals and stuff like that. It's, like, it's genius. Anyway, I got completely off track with Harry Potter. Maybe... I don't know, who knows, maybe next episode I'll talk about Harry Potter. Um, Because my siblings and my friends have been trying to force me to watch Harry Potter a lot recently. Yeah, I haven't seen Harry Potter. I know, disgraceful, especially since I've read a lot of fanfiction about them. But yeah, maybe we'll do Harry Potter in the future, who knows. Um, Yeah, I'll do that, possibly. But yeah, Crimson Peak... I feel bad for the characters. They deserve better, and I want more fanfic tropes. So please, if there are any fanfic writers out there, write some more for me, and um, forward me the link, I beg you. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, But if you do, just let me know. Um, But yeah, Crimson Peak, my favorite movie of all time, with amazing actors and actresses. Um, I strongly recommend you guys watch it, even uh, even if you already have. Watch it again. It is literally the best movie ever. And even if it's a bit simple, there's so many different backstories and different motivations and depth to the characters that you can really analyze and get yourself into. Especially with Beatrice Sharp, the mother and the father, and then uh, Thomas and, like, where he could have been if he wasn't in the situation and Lucille, too. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you all for joining me today on Thoughts and Theories. I hope you've learned something new or taken away something to think about. I hope to see you all next time. Till then, this has been Thoughts and Theories with Asha Ama Asri. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the Air.